Jewish audio on Kaban.org. Rambam Mishnah Torah. Hilchas Meiser Sheni Veneter The laws of the second tithe, as well as the laws of the fourth year of planting a tree. Pedic Sheni, Chapter 2. Now, by way of introduction to Chapter 2, I would like to point out that many people erroneously believe that my Sersheni, the second tithe, is a pretty simple deal. You take 10% of your produce following truma and miser separation, you set it aside, you redeem it, change it into money, and you take the money and you spend it in Jerusalem the next time you go there. What's the big deal? There's a lot more to it than that. Because as we touched upon in chapter 1, and as we will extensively get into, Miser Shani, the second tithe, is an extremely sacred, holy entity. And there are <clears throat> scores and scores, dozens and dozens of laws that pertain to its holiness, to its sanctity. It's not just, I need money anyway in Jerusalem, let me use this money. But it has holiness attached to it, and therefore many requirements and many restrictions. And we're going to touch upon some of these in chapter 2, beginning with chapter 2. My Sersheni, this second tithe, which again is produce redeemed and transformed into money taken to Jerusalem. Who can eat it? Nechal, it could be eaten, Livola, by its owners. And anyone else, as we will learn, that he wants to invite. Lifnim, but, but again, it's the private funds of the owner. Lifnim mechomas Yerushalayim. It may only be eaten within the walls of Jerusalem. Within the walls of Jerusalem is a walled city. It can only be eaten within the walls. Shenem are the verse in the Torah talks about it. You shall eat it. Before God your God. Where? In the place. Which God will choose. To cause his name to dwell there, Begemer, etc. That is the Torah euphemism for Jerusalem. When we talk about the place that God will choose to cause his name to dwell there, I don't want to shock you or anything, but he was not talking about Utah. He was talking about, actually, he was talking about Montana, but he was talking about Jerusalem. The so this must be eaten where? In Jerusalem, within the walled city. When this mitzvah must be observed, at least in some format, as we will learn, whether there is a holy temple standing or not. Aval, however, despite the fact that the mitzvah must be observed, when there is no holy temple, even when there is no holy temple, it may not be eaten 
in Jerusalem unless there is a holy temple. So you're going to have to find a way to observe the mitzvah without eating it. Shenemar, as it says, the tithing of your grains, your wines, and your oils. And then the same verse refers to a sister mitzvah, the firstborn of your sheep and cattle. From the oral law, we were taught, just as the firstborn is not eaten, unless there is a Beis Hamigdash. You don't eat the firstborn, unless the, the Kohen doesn't eat of the firstborn, unless he brings a sacrifice, unless the Beis Hamigdash is there. So also, second tithe, may not be eaten, only when there is a holy temple. So what do we do with it if there's no holy temple? I'm glad you asked. Beis Midas Hasidus. It is an act of piety. Somebody wants to go above and beyond the call of duty. That one should redeem the second tithe even nowadays for its full value. So if you have $100 of produce... You redeem it for $100, $1,000 of produce, you redeem it for $1,000. Just as they would redeem it when the Holy Temple stood. But the problem is, as we will learn, it's kind of a waste. Because you can't eat it. So what's going to happen to that money? It is for this reason, for the what's going to happen to that money reason. That the scholars and sages ruled, that if somebody wants to redeem the value of a hundred mona, a hundred silver coins, for one copper coin, what we would refer to in our world as a penny. Not that I'm saying that a pruta has the value of a penny, but conceptually, even to begin with, said our sages, nowadays, so we have that liberal form of redemption. You could take a hundred silver coins worth and redeem it for one copper coin. Why? Because that's the identical learn we le- law we learned much earlier in the laws of Eirachin Vacharomim, when somebody devotes something to the holy temple and there is no holy temple. It should not be more severely applied than Hegdish or devotions than the holy, where because we can't practically utilize it, a liberal approach to redemption was ordained. So what does he do with the copper coin? He throws it into the ocean. Why? Because again, my Sersheni, money takes on the sanctity of my Sersheni. If God forbid someone were to find that coin and use it in a non-My Sersheni setting, somebody took it to Tel Aviv and had coffee, it would be a serious violation of Torah law because My Sersheni is holy. Therefore, by casting it into the Mediterranean Sea, chances are no one will ever find it, or better yet, some people interpret this as the Dead Sea where it'll corrode, but you got to make sure that nobody finds it and uses it. 
And that's why the leniency of redeeming a lot of money for a little money, why take a hundred mana and throw it into the ocean? So also, if somebody transferred the holiness of a hundred silver coins worth into produce worth one copper coin, that's also acceptable. What does he do with the small amount of produce? He must burn it. Because God forbid somebody should eat it. It's a serious transgression. Because there is no base on Migdash. So it not become a, an obstacle, a stumbling block to other people. Just as we will learn the application of the redemption of the fourth year's fruit nowadays. As we also explained in detail in the laws of forbidden foods. Dalid for Now let me give you a little bit of introduction. There is a difference in the Maaser Sheni law. Whether you're in Jerusalem, you're already there with the food, you're already there with the money, or you're still outside Jerusalem. Because the law changes. Once the walls of Jerusalem surround the, the food of the money, it becomes exposed to a different level of holiness and obligation. Just as we can't eat second tithe produce nowadays in Jerusalem, so also we may not redeem produce in Jerusalem. So that once the produce is in Jerusalem, it's there. It's not interchangeable, exchangeable, redeemable. We cannot profane it. We can't sell it. It becomes holy. So we have to really be very cautious to make sure that we don't bring produce into Jerusalem that we don't intend to eat. As my Sashini. Furthermore, the law goes so far as to say that whatever of my Sashini was brought into Jerusalem, even nowadays, it could never be taken out. Because once it's there, the walls sanctify it. So, there's a problem. Outside of Jerusalem, we learned there's a rabbinic ordinance. You can redeem a large amount for a small amount. Once you're in Jerusalem, all bets are off. So what happens to the large amount of produce? Nothing. You can't sell it. You can't redeem it. You can't eat it. You can't give it away. It has to sit there until it decays, which is why you shouldn't do it to begin with. And so also, what if he transgressed the law? He didn't know, he didn't realize. Produce was in Jerusalem, and then he took it out. You can't say, hey, it's out anyway, let me just redeem it. No. You leave it until it decays. 
Our sages ordained that nowadays we should not even set aside the second tithe in Jerusalem because it's going to get you into trouble because once you have second tithe produce, it's too late. Ella, the solution is, you take the produce before the second tithe is set aside, which is called in their Tevel state, outside the city gates. So once you're out of Jerusalem, there's a whole new ball game, a whole set of different set of laws. And there you designate 10% as my Sashani. And then you can redeem it, even liberally, as we said earlier. But if he set it aside in Jerusalem, nowadays, there is no other solution than that the produce must decay. Because again, it can't be redeemed in Jerusalem, can't be sold, can't be given away, can't be eaten. Which is why we should not get ourselves into that situation. Now, how bad is it if I eat second tithe food outside of Jerusalem? I mean, is it such a terrible thing? So he says, Kol Anyone who eats and consumes the minimum of an olive's volume of second tithe, or drank from it, Revius, a quarter of a lug of wine, of yayin, Chutz lechomas Yerushalayim outside the walls of Jerusalem. It's a terrible transgression. It's the violation of a negative Torah law. Loke under the right circumstances where there are witnesses who see him and warn him and testify. There could be an application of lashes. Shenemar, as it says specifically in the Torah, you may not eat in your gates, meaning in your cities. Masa, the tithing of, digoncha, your grains, tireshcha, your wines, v'yitzarecha, and your oils, v'gaymer, etc. And therefore, if somebody ate grain, wine, and oil outside of Jerusalem, in Tel Aviv, in Haifa, and he was warned and witnessed, conceptually, there could be a separate application of lashes applied one for the grain, one for the wine, one for the oil. If he consumed all three of these categories, grain, wine, and oil, outside the Jerusalem white walls, like a Sholosh Malkis, there could be an application of three sets of lashes. You shall eat before God your God. The tithing of your grains... Wines and oils. And it says, You may not eat in your gates. Why spell out all of them? Why don't you just say, don't eat them? To show that there is a culpability and a separate transgression for each of these acts of grain, wine, and oil. Now, there's another detail connecting to the above. Six, biblically there cannot be the application of a possible lashes in this case. Unless somebody eats this outside of Jerusalem, once it has already experienced the walls of Jerusalem. In other words, 
You're eating it now in Tel Aviv, but yesterday it was in Jerusalem. You cannot eat in your gates, etc. You shall eat before God your God. It must first have entered into the place of eating. Then one may have eaten it outside. Then one can get lashes. But if he ate it beforehand, being that this particular produce never experienced exposure to Jerusalem, the most, the largest type of punishment that could be applied is a rabbinic type of lashes. For violating rabbinic law, never a biblical type of lashes. Now come different scenarios, seven. What if part of the second tithe produce is in the walls, is within the walls, and part of it is still outside the walls? It's very simple. The one, a person who eats from the, stu- from the part that was outside, there's only a rabbinic application of lashes. But if somebody eats outside the Jerusalem city limits, something that has already been within the walls earlier, like there could be the biblical application, even though this particular gift, this particular produce was split into two. Some was in and some was out. Now, what happens to the second tithe if it became defiled, impure? We mentioned briefly that part of the mitzvah of the second tithe is we should never eat it in a state of impurity. What happens if it becomes impure? The only way we can redeem second tithe produce in Jerusalem is if it became defiled. So that's the only excuse. If it didn't become defiled, you can't redeem it in Jerusalem. But if it became defiled, you have to redeem it. As it says, If the place God will choose, Jerusalem is far away from you. Under ordinary circumstances, we need the distance. You need to be far away in order to allow redemption. And you can't redeem it close. But if it was defiled, that's something else. What if the person was within the walls of Jerusalem and his backpack was outside the walls, his wagon was outside the walls, with the produce, even if he's holding it with a stick, He's inside the walls and he has a long stick and at the end of the stick is his backpack with all the produce. Bottom line is, is that being that the produce did not actually enter within the wall area, right then and there, outside the wall, he can still redeem it. But once the second tithe has entered into Jerusalem, even... The type of second tithe, which is of uncertain produce. Because we just finished learning the second half of the laws of tithing, all about demai, domai. Uncertain produce. We're not sure if somebody who's unlearned set aside the tithings or he didn't. So by rabbinic law, we have to set aside again two things. A, a one-hundredth 
of the volume for the truma that the Levite would have set aside, 10% of 10%. B, the second tithing, because there's not much of a financial loss because the owner is going to consume it himself anyway, albeit in Jerusalem. So here we are. It's the second tithe, just in case designation. Now he brings this demai, Maishashani, into Jerusalem. Still, despite the fact that it's a rabbinic application, it's still forbidden to take it out of Jerusalem once it entered into the walls. Shekvar, and here's the key word, Shekvar klotuhu michitzes. By the way, as with many other agricultural laws in the Rambam, most of these laws are based either in the Mishnah of the Babylonian Talmud or in the Talmud of the Jerusalemite Talmud, because there's no Babylonian Talmud on this. So most of these laws are actually in the Mishnah itself, in one form or another. What is this law? The walls have taken in this produce. The barriers of the walls have transformed the, the experience of being within the walls of Jerusalem. So that's the law. It's in the walls. It takes on a new existence. This does not only apply to produce which was originally designated as second tithe, but even produce purchased with monies from second tithe. You set aside produce in Tel Aviv, and then you took the produce, transformed it into money, came to Jerusalem, took the money, bought produce. Even that produce, once it's in the wall, it becomes holy. Which means that by Torah law, the reality is the produce transfers its holiness to the money. The money transfers its holiness back to produce. Shanam, as it says, you shall eat it before God, your God. What if he did take out this produce from the walls of Jerusalem or they accidentally went out? There's only one solution. Bring them back in. And eat it in Jerusalem. This whole idea of the walls creating a barrier and transforming this is a rabbinic application. Even though it is therefore what if there is second tithe where when one violates the law and one has to give a fifth as a penalty, what if the fifth does not have the minimum value of a pruta? Which would be a rabbinic application. So now you have a rabbinic application within a rabbinic application. Mechit says, to say, say still the walls of Jerusalem. Transform it, we also let see, and we may not take it out of Jerusalem. Avo, that is once it becomes produce. But Mois Maishashani, when it's still in money form, money could go in and out. That which we say you can't take it out once you've been in applies to produce, but not to money. Now we learned earlier that in order for any of this to kick in, the produce must be completed to a certain extent. And the common level of completion is one-third ripe. Or one of six things happened to it. We talked about it in the earlier chapter. We, re- took, we did a review. 
Once this produce was completed, passed through Jerusalem, we're talking about the raw produce, and then they were taken outside of Jerusalem, now one cannot take the second tithe from other produce which has never been in Jerusalem, because this raw, untithed produce was exposed to the walls of Jerusalem. Their only choice is for the second tithe portion, which is one-tenth of it, to be brought back to Jerusalem. And be consumed in Jerusalem. May not be redeemed outside of Jerusalem. Furthermore, even if he took all of that group of produce, designated it as second tithe for other produce, he must bring it back and consume it in Jerusalem. And there is a severity in the application of this idea of the walls transforming it, because being that they created that barrier of exposure to the produce, then it's a permanent effect and cannot be undone. However, what if the produce was not mature, was not done? For example, the two examples he gives here are baskets of grapes that are being taken to the vat or baskets of figs that are being taken to dry so they're not past the completion mark being that they're still incomplete in their maturity. You can redeem their second tithe. Or the produce of the Mai. Even though they are completed and they were in Jerusalem and they went out, there's a leniency. Here we're talking about the produce. We can do the redemption outside. Earlier we talked about the Miser itself. Now we're talking about the produce before the Miser. Yud base 12 Petus, Maishashini Shinitu Yishalayim of Dawn. We learned earlier that if there's Maishashini produce that becomes defiled in Jerusalem, you may redeem them. What if one did that? So now the question is what is the level of defilement? If the level of defilement was a secondary source of impurity, which is only a rabbinic application, also late see, and then one may not take it out of Jerusalem. It should be eaten within. How could you eat it if it became defiled? Because this level of impurity, as we will learn in great detail, is only a rabbinic application. If they became defiled with a more severe application called a primary source of impurity, which is not rabbinic, or the impurity took place outside the walls of Jerusalem. Even in a minor impurity, and then they were brought into Jerusalem. So here's two scenarios. One scenario is the, the, the produce was already in Jerusalem, and they became defiled with a serious defilement. The second scenario is they were still outside Jerusalem when they became defiled with a minor rabbinic defilement. These, because there's no other choice, may be redeemed, and the money takes on the sanctity of the Maishashini and the fruits, the produce can be eaten anywhere. Again, Maishashini has a sanctity attached to it. 
And therefore, one has to treat it with great, with great deference. So now he says, Tilton Shalmai Sesheni. There's something called Tilton, which he translates here into Chilba, which is made up second tie. The big question is, is this Tilton edible or is it not edible? So he says, It may be eaten while it's still fresh, <coughs> because that's its best state of being edible. Because that's the best way to eat chilba. Some say it can be eaten, others say it must be eaten. So also, if we're talking about vetch, made from second tithing, should be eaten while it's fresh, it's best way to eat it, because we're concerned if it's going to be dry, it's going to be inedible, and if it's inedible, we've just wasted maiseshenei, what if he created a dough from them? Being that the status was transformed from raw into a dough, you can now bring it in and out. Because a dough of vetch is no longer considered produce. And if they become defiled in Jerusalem, they may be redeemed and consumed outside of Jerusalem. Interesting scenario in the last few paragraphs. Scenarios, test 15. What if there's a tree? The tree is within the walls of Jerusalem. But the branches are overhanging outside the wall. So, is under the branches within Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem? Remember, the tree is within the wall, the branches are overhanging outside. Outside the wall. One may not consume second tithe food, which can only be consumed in Jerusalem under the branches of this tree because the branches are outside the wall. Furthermore, second tithe produce that entered under the branches of this tree. Which means, that was their exposure to Jerusalem. They entered under the branches of this tree, whose body is in Jerusalem. But the branches are outside. It takes on the severe interpretation. It's already considered as having been in Jerusalem. And one should not redeem it. It's as if it re-entered Jerusalem. So here we see we take a more severe application of each scenario. You can't eat Maishasheni under those branches. But at the same time, once Maishasheni food has been under those branches, you can no longer redeem it. So it's the worst of all situations, the worst of all worlds. Similar law. And in some of the books there might be a diagram houses that are alongside the wall. At certain periods in history, they built houses into the wall of Jerusalem, where the entry to the house was within the wall in Jerusalem, but the house itself protrudes outside. So the question is, for the purposes of Maishasheni, what's within Jerusalem and what's not, any part of the square footage that's within Jerusalem from the wall and inward, Kilifnim the Chaldover, is for all purposes considered Jerusalem. 
But that which protrudes outside the wall, even though the only entry to that house is from within. So first of all, we take on the severity. Number one, you can't eat my sashini there. Why? Because you're outside the wall, even though you're in a house whose only access is from within the wall. At the same time, you can't redeem. One stuff has been there. What if the length of the house is within and the entry is outside the wall? Whatever is outside, is like the outside. You can redeem. You can't eat. But again, we're talking about where the entry is outside. Anything from the wall. And within, you can't eat. Why? Because the entry is outside. They ain't paid in the but still you can't redeem stuff that's been there. So you take the stringency. Windows and the thickness of the wall is considered like within the city. End of chapter 2.